Hello, everyone, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ari, and today on our panel, we have Ben. Hello. And Tessa. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And today, we are talking about conferences. So I guess to start off, let's talk about our first experiences speaking at a conference. Ben, would you like to go first? Gosh, first time speaking at a conference. I think my first one was uh, GDG, so Google Developer Group Conference that was here local in the DC area. And I remember applying to that one on a whim because prior to that, we can talk about the process, but I've been just rejected countless times. So when I got the acceptance, it was like sort of a, a shock. So it was basically a 20, I think it was a 25 minute talk. And believe it or not, it was on ViewPress. And that was, I think, when ViewPress had first come out and that was my first talk ever and gosh was i nervous and did all the things you're not supposed to do as a speaker (laughs) as far as like like i just like spoke so quickly and oh gosh it was such a blur in my head um so many faux pas but yeah it's kind of crazy thinking back to the first time i spoke and and where i am today so yeah that was my first time tessa what was your first time speaking at a conference like Oh, gosh, it's so hard to follow up a story like that, where you're like, yeah, I started out nervous, and then I became a huge success. And that's (laughs) where I am now. Nope, not at all. (laughs) Well, I feel like there's like different, like conference, there's different scopes of conferences, I feel like. So like, I started out speaking at meetups and kind of conference satellite events. And then my first longer talk was like Ben at a GDG event. A speaker I saw who I was really upset because I went to this like Angular versus React debate and he was on the Angular side and the React team was basically like, oh, React is really cool and Angular is for like old, tired people. And then on the Angular side, I don't remember what this guy's teammate said, but he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I just drove in from my math test at uni and like here's why I think Angular is great. And he had a lot of really solid supporting points. And at the end, the audience could vote for like which side they thought won the debate and then which side they thought was the MVP. And I was so upset that he didn't win the MVP, but I was like, wow, this fresh college student giving all these talks and like so impressive, blah, blah, blah. Later, I found out that like he'd actually gone back to college to get a CS degree. I mean, still impressive, but... Yeah. So he was like, I'm organizing a GDG fest. You should speak there about Vue. And I was like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. And he was like, you're doing it. (laughs) So yeah, that was my first talk and and why I went there. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Ari? So I've only spoken at one conference. So we'll just talk about my first and only time. I (laughs) had no intentions really of speaking at a conference, but... When Chris Fritz asks you if you want to speak at a conference, like, I feel like you have to say yes. So I did, (laughs) despite like being absolutely terrified by the prospect of it. (laughs) The whole experience was a bit of a blur for me as well. I'm going to take this opportunity to say that speaking at conferences is not for everyone. And that's totally okay. I felt dead inside after my first conference talk, and I'm not (laughs) sure I'll ever do it again. (laughs) Well, as someone who was there for Ari's first and apparently only performance, it was a fantastic and she did a great job. So Sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> well, so Ari, you mentioned that, you know, Chris had asked you to speak. So prior to that, had you gone through like a CFP process before or No. No. I had I not. <laughs> <laughs> That's how cool Ari is. She gets the invite directly into the circle. <laughs> yeah, I, what I circle? What no circle idea. then? <laughs> Tell me about the circle. What are you talking about? I applied through a CFP. I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, I'm sort of curious because, you know, a lot of us getting into development, you know, we're here to code, build stuff with code, you know, especially when you talk about things that are traumatic. I think when it comes to like the most traumatic experiences, like people fear on like, and from psychology, public speaking is like way up there. Like a lot of people are straight up terrified. So I'm curious from both of your ends, like what was sort of the, was there ever sort of a moment where you're like, this is something I'd like to do? And like, sort of set out to achieve it? Because it's so different from what we set out to sort of start our jobs in to suddenly then pursue something like public speaking. 
Wait, so is the question, did we set out to pursue a fear of public speaking? (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying that given that most people wouldn't like choose public speaking, you know, like voluntarily, like sort of what call it motivated you or inspired you to even go for that first time, especially if you've been through the CFP process and you've been like basically rejected time and time again, which I can totally speak to later. But I would be curious what y'all's experience has been with that. So I'm an extroverted introvert and I actually don't have a fear of public speaking. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's like my favorite thing to do and I want to do it all day, every day, but I have no problem being the center of attention. (laughs) (laughs) No, and like prior to being asked to speak at Connect Tech, I was considering at least doing some local meetups. And I actually had to do some soul searching to really come to terms with why I wanted to do it. Mm. And I wanted it to be, you know, some altruistic thing, you know, wanting to share my knowledge with others to better the development community. But at the end of the day, I had to be honest with myself. And it was just to make myself look good. That was, yeah. <laughs> and apparently that's an okay reason to do it. It didn't feel like it was for me, but people tell me that that's really why people do it. So, well, I guess that's the reason then for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tessa, why do you enjoy speaking so much since you do it quite often? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's really not not that often. That's how successful she is. She just speaks <laughs> not that much, just, you know, all the time. Yeah, just all the time. No I was playing the long game. I just wanted to be able to get to a point where I would be able to meet luminaries like Ben and Ari. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was growing up, I didn't really, I didn't have a fear of public speaking or performance. I think like... Ugh. When I was in first grade, my mom made me audition for some community play or something, and I really didn't want to. I didn't have any reason to want to or not want to. It's just like the next thing I knew, we were at the community theater or whatever, and I had to audition. And I was like, what is happening? I'm not doing this. But since then, yeah, it hadn't really been a problem until I went to university. And then I don't know why, but I started to get physically sick every time I was about to present like it just started with like I would start to get an uncontrollable cough so then Mm. I would start to become afraid of I became afraid of public speaking because I was afraid of getting sick before public speaking um (laughs) I'm laughing because Ben has changed his background to this like very intimidating like devil (laughs) bat wing thing I don't know if this is like Diablo but Yeah. And then later on, I developed a speech impediment as well. And so every time I started to speak and I couldn't say things properly, then it kind of was like a feedback loop into my head where I also forgot what I was thinking. So it was very frustrating. And somebody in the career services team wanted to start a Toastmasters club. And so I thought that would be a good way to try and work through these issues but only one other person joins the club. So basically we had to prepare and deliver a new speech like every week. And there's something in the club called table topics where you go around and ask each other like deep conversational questions. There's only the two of us. (laughs) But I feel like my biggest takeaway from art school is like no matter how much work you put into something, the way you present it can still make or break it. And also, Mm. yeah, we had to listen to a lot of visiting artist lectures and it was required for the lower level students. And I remember feeling frustrated that a lot of the talks were really boring. And one of the professors said, listen, just because somebody is a great artist doesn't mean they're a great presenter. And I don't know why Mm. that's such a simple concept, but I hadn't really thought about it before, even though I thought about it in context of like academic papers and stuff, like just because somebody really knows their field doesn't mean that they can write in an engaging way. I just remembered that. And then, you know, know, I finished, I left school and I started teaching and doing art assistance stuff. And I never really had any opportunities to exercise that muscle again. I started organizing meetups. And also like when I was at the boot camp, we had to do a tech talk. And I really like teaching and helping people and also coming up with metaphors to communicate ideas. And also I really like 
PowerPoint. Um, I've just always, always really liked PowerPoint. <laughs> I know it's weird, but yeah, so that's it's not that weird. <laughs> that's why, well, actually, more accurately, I started going into speaking kind of similar to what I talked about in the Tessa episode about like why I started coding. It was just like, oh, I wonder if I could do that. Like I saw conference speakers and I was like, I don't know how to get there. Like that's never going to happen. But when somebody was like, can you present this thing at a meetup? We need a lightning talk on this topic. And I was like, yeah, let's see if I can do it. And just kept on escalating. So that was my super long story. How about, <laughs> how about you, Ben? Yeah, Ben. I mean, I got to say, I mean, so from what what I heard, Tessa, is that, you know, you, you thought it wasn't going to happen. And then someone saw like this awesome potential and was like, Yes, come give a lightning talk, which is great. Oh, no, gosh, it, I, I well, okay, to be more like accurate, he was like, we need somebody to give an update on what's new in TypeScript at the Angular meetup. Can anybody do it? It should be like a five-minute talk. And I was like, oh, I'll try it. So it wasn't, oh. it wasn't any like Harry Potter situation. Like you're, you're a speaking wizard, gotcha. Tessa. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the Neville Longbottom of the story. Oh <laughs> No. But also Neville he Longbottom is lovable, so... And he has a cool moment at the end, too. He totally has a hero Spoiler moment. alert. Yeah, dude, Ben. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, spoiler alert for sound editor. <laughs> yeah, from my end, so my very first conference I ever attended was CSS DevConf. And so, unfortunately, that, that has more... I don't think it's been... Has, it's been discontinued, I think, as of like 2018, 19. The organizer had to take a break. Because for those, we're going to have another episode on this. But organizing conferences is a whole separate conversation. But I remember going to those and seeing just... Getting to meet a lot of my heroes in person and, you know, the cliche of like, don't meet your heroes in person. Well, I've been luckily enough that like, I don't know, I got to meet a lot of people in the industry like Sarah Drasner, Wes Boss um, at that conference and just just being able to like interact with them. It was like, I've heard a lot of different people talk about their tech, like tech conference experiences. And usually speakers are like kind of head up, held up on a pedestal and just like, hidden away from the audience. But at that particular conference, the speakers were basically walking around and like either eating with people, hanging out with people. And really that was, I feel very grateful that that was my first tech conference experience because I know that is not typical. But that for me was sort of inspiring from like uh, really getting to humanize the people I looked up to. And so from that point on, it was a bit like, like, yeah, I'd love to like somehow get to that level basically. And so it sort of kicked off this journey of trying to apply for different conferences. And I made the sort of traditional rookie mistake of only sending one CFP like per conference. And so it wasn't until much later that I figured out that people were sending multiple CFPs. And at first I was like, that's cheating. And then I was like, wait, no, it's not really cheating. Um, so... That's actually one of the reasons I got into meetup organizing because I had a difficult time breaking into conference speaking. And so it was like, all right, well, let's try the smaller platform. And meetups at the time were starting to get bigger. And so I got involved with organizing the local CodePen meetup here at the time. But, you know, CodePen, for those who don't know, is basically a popular like live editor that you can save snippets of code and share with people, um, sort of like a portfolio gallery. And so we actually had a decent amount of people who wanted to speak at that. So as a result, there really wasn't room for an organizer to necessarily come and take a speaking slot, right? Because that's not something you just don't want to do as Should an organizer. Should have made a Ben meetup. <laughs> but I was still very, I felt new to the scene. And so, you know, since it wasn't able to speak there, eventually, when I was at Politico, we were sort of looking around at meetups. And again, I was still having trouble breaking into the speaking scene. And that's when my coworker, Chris, was like, hey, I noticed there's, there's like a React DC and an Angular DC. There's no Vue DC. We're like, we should create that. And so like that, we like registered for the, the name and got it. And so since, you know, when you're a brand new meetup, you need speakers. And guess what? <laughs> since you don't have speakers yet, guess who gets to speak? The organizers. <laughs> so I basically got to manufacture my sort of my first bigger speaking engagement. I realized thinking back on it now, I had some smaller meetup ones that I got accepted to. So I think my very first seat at talk was about Flexbox, actually. And I gave a Flexbox tutorial. But the view one was particularly sort of like a big milestone in my, I guess, speaking career, just because after sort of manufacturing that opportunity and then recording it and posting it on YouTube... That I'm pretty sure what contributed a lot to like when I applied to another CFP and then I could attach a recording of me speaking. I think that changed everything all of a sudden because I was going from someone who just like 
threw out topic ideas and like didn't totally understand the abstract process to then like having something that people could at least look at and know what they were getting. And I think that's what sort of opened it up from there. And I don't have proof of that, but that's my hypothesis at least. So that's my long-winded origin story of getting into public speaking. I'm so curious what it was like to meet Wes in person. I feel like I wouldn't be able to keep a straight face just because his voice is so energetic. Like when he's teaching, you don't see his face, you know? So there's no like way to prep. (laughs) Well, what was funny is I think I'd listened to him on a podcast before and I listened to all my videos on like two or three X. So everyone like on shop, everyone's like super fast to me. And then when I meet them in person, it's like so much slower. (laughs) And so that was weird for me. um, I will say getting used to, but Wes is great in person. He's a really lovely guy. So you mentioned earlier in this episode, the infamous classic rookie mistake of only submitting a single entry into a CFP, which I actually did last night. So <laughs> let's, let's hear a bit more about that. <laughs> okay, so yes, let me, let me be clear. So I don't mean to imply judgment if you only submit one. It's just I didn't realize I could submit multiple. I think it's more about that. Like if you have a specific topic you're really passionate about, I don't think you should submit multiple CFPs for the sake of submitting it. It's just when like your goal is like, I just want to start, I want to get speaking experience and I'm flexible on the topic. Then that's what I refer to when I say the rookie mistake, just because it seems like an unspoken rule. But I've seen more um, CFPs like um, View Toronto, for example, they explicitly say you can submit multiple times, right? I think I wish more CFPs would do that just because people who are newer to the industry or newer to public speaking might not think to do that. And that can make all the difference, right? If like you have multiple interesting things. And I think one time I submitted an animation talk when Sarah Drasner was going to be presenting. And like, there's no way I'm going to be presenting on animation (laughs) when Sarah Drasner is there. Let's be honest. So, you know, that's part of the reason you submit multiple talks is sometimes the like you might not know right in advance, like who is speaking. So if you have like a big headliner that's speaking on your topic, like it's not anything against you. It's just that's who's going to be speaking on that topic and they need something different. Yeah. And just to clarify for our listeners, like Ben and I have talked about this before, so I'm not like telling Ben that he's like calling me out or something. It's it's the case for me what Ben mentioned in the beginning, which is like if you have a specific topic and you know you want to talk on that topic. But definitely when he gave a meetup talk in New York and he was like, yeah, you know, you submit multiple CFPs. And I was like, oh, no, I've only been submitting the one. So then I started submitting multiple CFPs to all the places I applied that year and got rejected from all of them. <laughs> yeah that does happen too yep i think i will say that i do want to give original credit i believe the person i credit the most with getting that advice i think was miriam suzanne where she has i think like a handful of cfps that she polishes i think it's like three to five and then that's basically what she submits throughout the year which leads me to another thing that i think is worth mentioning is have you all heard of talk driven development I mean, that's how I've developed my career. <laughs> I assume if I'm in, understanding you correctly. I guess if, I'm curious, what, what is your interpretation of when I say talk driven development? Well, I mean, for example, when I got accepted to View Toronto to give that Next Tech Lightning talk, I didn't know Next Tech. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I signed yes. up to do that talk because I didn't know Next Tech. Yes. And that is perfectly representative is the other hidden secret to our listeners and to anyone yeah who you talk to you don't have to be an expert on the topic when you give the talk it certainly helps from a confidence perspective sometimes like so, you know obviously if you're an expert in it you can talk with more sort of you can be more sure about it but there are many people in the industry that i know of in, including myself and you just heard to say too a lot of, sometimes we submit talks and cfps because we think there's a topic that's interesting and we love basically like a fire that's lit under us to go learn it (laughs) because there's nothing like I have to go speak in front of hundreds of people (laughs) about a topic to get you motivated to actually like do the research and try to put it in a way that um, people can understand. Yeah, I think I was also lucky in that like when I was unemployed, I was basically going to meetups as like my job. Like I think there was a week even where I went to nine meetups in one week or something. Oh my God. Whoa. So yeah, and I was watching a ton of videos online too. So I've seen a lot of talks. So like I have a lot of opinions about what kind of talks I like and that work for me. And I thought that the ones that I found the most engaging were ones where people talked about like something that they learned, but from the perspective of 
when they were learning it and all of the pitfalls that they ran into on the way there. So that's kind of how I also accidentally fell into talk-driven development. So Tess was saying that she would have hated my talk. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. For those who don't know, Ari gave a talk at Connect Tech on um, real-time views. So Which is what I do all day, every day. (laughs) (laughs) She's a SME subject matter expert on it. But actually, I will say that made it harder for me. Because it's something that I know so well. And I wanted to, you know, somehow talk about all the things, but there's not Mm. time or scope to talk about all the things. And so it ended up being an excruciating process trying to write the talk, which I was still writing, you know, with an hour before my talk to go. (laughs) (laughs) Only an hour? Gosh, I write up to the minute, basically. I'm like up on the podium like, should I I tweet that slide? (laughs) I knew that I needed like a little time before I gave my talk to just chill and clear my head. But that's probably why I don't really want to give another talk is the process of writing the talk was really hard on me. Like I spent months trying to prepare for this talk and still an hour before (laughs) I'm still writing it because yeah, I have this thing where if I know too much about something, I can't zero in on what's important Mm. because it's all important, right? But it's actually not. (laughs) Story of my life. Yeah, no. So I would never do that again. I think if I ever give another talk, it will be a lot more focused and on a much smaller piece because real-time technologies, that's a very wide topic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was a mistake, but maybe someone can learn from my mistake. (laughs) I mean, I I learned a lot from your talk. I'm just saying. I thought you did a good job. (laughs) But actually, you know, I guess like Tessa was saying, I did include things that I did that were not correct or not best practices, just to be like, I mean, in the real world, this is what you might do, but here's Mm -hmm. the right way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. And and to be clear, it's not that I don't like talks that do that. I just think it is one of many effective teaching mechanisms because it's kind of like, uh, I think in comics, we call it closure. And the idea is that your brain fills in the action that happens between the gutter of two comics panels. So like if there's a raised Mm -hmm. axe and a lowered axe, then your mind is like, oh, they swung the axe in that gap between the two panels. And so when you're like, this is something I was looking at, this is what I was thinking about it, then it kind of introduces this question of like, if you were in that position, what kind of assumptions would you make? And so then that gives the audience a chance to like, think like, well, this might be the obvious answer. And then it's like surprising and memorable when they find out that it's not the case. But yeah, I think refinement is really hard. I was watching this video the other day where this artist was flipping through an art education book that he wrote and comparing it to another one that he's pretty sure plagiarized his book. And when you look at it on the surface, it almost doesn't seem clear cut because it looks like they're both just covering the basics. But as he talks about the process of how he decided which basics to focus on and like which like five core skills or whatever he wanted to narrow things down to, I think the video just did a really good job of illustrating a lot of the hidden conceptual work that goes into developing content like this, especially for like a finite, and especially finite, I feel like in the case of talks period of time. I'm also curious to hear since Ben mentioned about cheating, and also doing talks at the last minute, which like, to be fair, like when I was at ViewConf US, like down to the hour, even though like I had a speaker mentor, and we were both preparing regularly for months in advance, I was still trying to fix some typos in my talk. And some big person in the view community came over and was just trying to be nice and have a real conversation with me. And I was like, not now. (laughs) Um, But I've seen discussions online about like when speakers joke about finishing their slides like backstage and also like whether speakers are allowed to deliver the same talk more than once. So I'm curious what both of your thoughts are on those. All right. So from my end, I would say as far as like the cheats and you're saying, yes. So to all those listening, if someone is about to speak a public like speak at a conference general i would say it's usually safe to assume they're in the middle of something so you can talk to them after they're done i know players who are happy to chat with you but yeah please don't interrupt people people typing furiously away and editing slides is very commonplace um <laughs> if you watch the video you can still see i left in one of those typos <laughs> 
So yeah, so for the first time speakers, if you're like, gosh, like everyone seems like they're so put together and they've prepared this month. No, we're all like staring at our slides right before we get up and like just looking to see if we can improve anything. It's right up to the hour to the minute. This is fair game. That actually makes some of us feel worse knowing that like you just slapped it together and then the rest of us were working for months and months and still weren't as polished. Hold on. I didn't say we were slapping it together at the end. I'm saying the tweaking is endless. Didn't she tell us the other day that you had to give a presentation in one hour and you just found out? Like, okay, then. Okay. Yeah, no, that's Wait, right. when did that happen? At work, you were like, I just found out I had to present oh. something in an hour. Did I? Yeah. Oh, but Ari, that was you too. Yeah, that was me too. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, so both well, of us apparently can wing it okay. Yeah, I'm the only one that can't <laughs> wing anything. I'm not a bird. Hold, hold on, hold on. Like, these skills are acquired through very painful, bad winging it experiences. So let's, I think it's important for listeners to know. It's like improv, right? You have to go through the painful moments of saying things that are not funny and trying things that don't work. And I think improving talks is the same way. I can't tell you, I have tried to spontaneously give talks before and I either lose track of the topic or I get too deep. Like it's, yes, I have paid plenty, <laughs> plenty to acquire that ability. But actually, so when I was preparing to give my talk at Connect Tech, I had signed up to speak at a couple meetups and I thought one of them was a week later than it actually was. And my friend texted me. Oh, she was like, that. oh, I'm so sorry. I can't make it tonight. And I was like, tonight? Oh, God, tonight. And it was like <laughs> just before the meetup. So that actually ended up being my favorite version of that talk because it, it was really just more conversation with, with the attendees. <laughs> but no, like I was just like, well, this is going to suck. So I mean, zero expectations. I'm just going to go with it. And it, it was actually a lot of fun. But so yeah, I mean, sometimes maybe winging it is a good approach if you're like me and you overthink things to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, like have I a plan. You, ben. Go ahead. No, no, I think I think that was a great reminder to people sort of still getting the speaking gig is that sometimes like once you've done some research, like, yeah, it's once you have a kind of plan, just go with it. I think a lot of the pep talks I give to first time speakers a lot is a reminder that like people want you to succeed. Like your audience is not looking to like tear you down. Um, of course, like people Unless hear you're the. Female. Sorry, <laughs> I knew that was coming. So I, I do know. Yes, to Ari's point, there well, are certainly people. Yes, the well, actually, <laughs> people. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm done. <laughs> no, so what I was saying is that, particularly at conferences, because it's much harder for them to basically like at meetups. You're going to get, I think, more people sort of raising their hand, interrupting. Conferences, in particular, people have paid money and taken time to come sit and listen to you. Like they are not sitting there rooting for you to screw up because frankly, like that's that's a waste of their time. So I think that's a really important thing to remember. I will say one pro tip when it comes to conferences, if someone asks you if you want to, if you're okay with the q and I would avoid Q&A at a conference. It's just a bag of, you just have no idea what it'll be. Wait, isn't it like what? I have a three-part question? Actually, it's more of a personal <laughs> journey. <laughs> Two-part question, one-part statement. Okay, but the other, the flip side of that is that if there is a Q&A scheduled and everyone knows there's a Q&A scheduled and then nobody has questions, it really makes you question everything about your talk afterwards. <laughs> Not that that happened to me. It totally did. Asking questions also is such an art. And as even as an audience member, if you're in that situation where there's a mic in each aisle and there's like 15, 20 people queued behind each mic to ask questions... <laughs> Like, that's not a good time for anyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so my only tip uh, regarding that is that if you're like, okay, well, the organizers are forcing me to do a Q&A, then my advice to you is tell them that you're basically what I want, what I recommend is scheduling, like call, like block it off five minutes of your talk for Q&A, but do not end on Q&A. So you might be like, okay, so I'm going to take a pause right now. This lets any questions, right? And that way, in case... There are no questions or that's fine. Even if the questions are a little bit off, you can then have the chance to then finish your talk on a strong note and then be like, okay, questions are done. Now let me continue what I planned. So if you're ever forced into that position, then basically force them to allow you to end end it on your terms. Don't end it on theirs. Yeah. But circling back to Ari's point, because Ben, you were saying how a lot of times like the audience is paying to listen to you. So I have a story for that. 
<laughs> Everyone's so excited to hear another long story. <laughs> I had a similar situation to Ari where for the same Connect Tech, I had another speaking engagement scheduled around the same time. And in my case, I didn't realize it was a month before, but this works out because if I have to del- deliver this talk at this GDG Fest before Connect Tech, then you know it'll be smooth sailing in the month in between, which, spoiler alert, it was not. Um, <laughs> but that other thing was a week earlier than I thought. So I was like, you know, last year I stayed up the night before finishing, but that's not going to happen this year. And boy, was I wrong. Um, <laughs> so I give a talk and I do my best Jen Looper impression because I knew that my talk was way too short. And I was like, this is a very relaxing and calmly paced event. <laughs> Still ended super early. And then a couple of people came up afterwards to ask me some questions. But the first person, because I had given kind of like a simplified overview of Vue. And the first person was like, you actually wouldn't do this and that in Vue. Like, don't you know that this other thing exists? And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. I was just showing like one, one way to do something. But then the person just kept on hanging around after. And then the other two people who had a bunch of questions for me, he just kept on answering all of their questions too. So they eventually just turned to him and it was like a conversation between the three of them. Um, That's awful. To his credit, I think he just wanted to help and he did apologize afterwards after he got some like guidance from one of his mentors. Any better. (laughs) <laughs> but the takeaway is that this is not an isolated incident. I would say that like most of the talks I've given, especially at bigger events, have ended this way, especially in like my first two years or so. Don't be that guy. <laughs> yes, please don't. Please don't be that guy. But actually, that's a good segue into just attending conferences because, you know, like I said, maybe speaking isn't for everyone. But I still mm-hmm. think that conferences can be really awesome for more than even just the talks, just saying. So let's yep. talk about the first conference we ever attended. Yes. Go, Ben. All right. So I a little bit of precursor. So I mentioned I'd been to CSS DevConf as an attendee. And so I would say that was, for me, to Ari's point, like, the talks are great and they're inspirational, but let's be honest, there's so many of them. Like, There's only so much you can remember. And for me, every time the conference is about the people, every time. And just like the the connections made there. It, don't get me wrong, it's scary. So to be like full like disclosure, like I went to CSSF Conf, I didn't know anyone there. So it's not like, you know, I had like a new people and I was meeting up with anyone, like knew nobody. And so it is tough. A lot of times, like there are, I wish like services now, like conference, conf buddy, I think conference buddy, there are like a lot of things that try to pair people up when you go to the same conferences. So at least you're not dealing with that because I can tell you that was, that was daunting. But I was lucky enough that like sort of watching Twitter, I managed to figure out like where people were kind of heading to. And luckily enough, like talked to someone, I think at lunch that got me onto a Twitter message group, like a group message on Twitter. And that was like, I don't know, it was just like life changing for me. Cause then I realized like, oh, there's this way that everyone's talking about where they're going, which is great. Cause then I can find out where to go and meet people. And so like, I think as a result, like I ended up having dinner with Wes and a bunch of like people. Cause again, Wes was just basically like, I'm going to get dinner. Who wants to join? And so like, of course a bunch of people went, but that was a phenomenal experience that again, is just like, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was priceless. Lots and lots of fun. So that was my first one. Ari, what about you? My first conference was actually the conference I met both of you. So (laughs) (laughs) it was ViewConf in Tampa. And the only reason I got to go was because ViewVixens was giving away a scholarship ticket. And so I applied for it thinking there's no way I would get it. And then I got it. And because I had a scholarship ticket, I managed to convince my company to pay for travel. So that was really exciting. Nice. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like you, I was totally alone. I didn't know really anything, but I was really fortunate that I was there as a ViewVixen scholarship ticket winner because they very much just like took me in and Mm. like, you know, made sure that I was included. But then I also met a bunch of developers from close to where I am and we just ended up becoming friends and they were just kind of like my go-to people to go to dinner with and stuff. But it was, it was so incredible just like meeting all these people that like I followed on Twitter and I was like, oh my God. My story for meeting Sarah Drasner, actually, I think, Tessa, you were you were there or at least in the close proximity. I never but, met Sarah in person. 
But uh, it was in line for tacos, which is actually I I met Tessa oh, yeah, like two minutes later. Me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you were technically yeah, there. Yeah, I remember being but, like, <laughs> so like I was like, was, that you'll never guess which Disney child star was in this other movie before they <laughs> hit it. <laughs> but so I was waiting in line for like dinner, but they had put appetizers at the, at the beginning of the line. And I had just taken like this huge bite of an egg roll. And then I turn around and realize I'm standing right next to Sarah Drasner. <laughs> And then I sort of like freak out, but I can't, I can't like say anything because like my mouth is totally full. And so I'm just like, you know, waving my arms, like, hold on, I, I want to say something. And she's just looking at me like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so embarrassing. <laughs> but then right after that, I, uh, I talked to Tessa for the first time and that was awesome. So I don't know anybody in this room, so you're not going to get rid of me anytime soon. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. And then after the conference, lots of awesome things happened. Like I ended up being on a podcast and then I was invited to be on the podcast like all the time, all because (laughs) of a conference. And just because like I decided to step out of my shell a little bit and talk to people that I probably wouldn't necessarily have talked to. Like it actually took me a lot of nerve to, to talk to Chris Fritz for the first time because like <laughs> like I hear him talking like walking behind me on our way to like a a mixer or whatever and I'm like I'm just like I know that voice and then like <laughs> I'm like where's it coming from <laughs> but he was so nice about it <laughs> so yeah that's the other thing people are, are generally really nice and you should talk to them because yes. people like being talked to I only ever had one person at a conference after that who like after I was on a podcast who was like knew who I was, but that was really cool. Like I felt super <laughs> cool for like five seconds. Right. What about you, Tessa? I mean, going back to like the scopes of conferences thing, I think if we're going by conferences that have conference in the name, then my first conf was View Toronto. And I got to go because they gave tickets to meetup organizers and I debated whether I should go or not because, you know, the hotel and everything is not paid. Mm. And I just started my job, so I was a bit nervous about going. But my friend Ringo was like, I'll go with you. So I was like, okay, I guess this is happening. Like, I just needed, you know, that little push. <laughs> and then I was like, well, since I'm already going there, I'll, I'll give this talk. And I also asked them, like, do you, have, do you have tickets for the workshops for, like, marginalized groups in tech? And they were like, yeah. So I went to Chris's workshop and I asked a million questions. But most of the rest of the time, I was trying to finish my lightning talk in time, which is its own whole disaster <laughs> story. But I didn't I didn't really I met a couple of people at my table, but I didn't really have like a, a fun like I met a lot of strangers or cool people thing. Like I think Ben or somebody mentioned like, oh, every you should all join us for karaoke. We're going out to karaoke or something. But they didn't share any details, which I presume all the speakers knew. So I think I tweeted something like, oh, is this karaoke thing still happening? And I think Ben or somebody just liked it. And I don't know if it happened or not, but that that was like my first conference. Yeah, shoot. That was me. I feel terrible now. <laughs> and it was very, very cold. I think I think my yes, Toronto was cold. My like and I had gone there being like, well, I haven't owned a winter jacket since I lived in the US. Like that's my goal. It's like I went there with the plan of like, I don't know what's gonna happen at this conference, but I wanna I want a winter coat. But I didn't have it yet. But even even going to like view cons in Florida, like my advice is just like bring a blanket. I was going to, but then I was like, It's in Florida, that's silly. No, I should have no. brought a blanket. Bring a blanket that's to like, the conference. Oh. Yeah, inside, that was, like, miserably cold inside that building. Miserable. Like, I kept going outside just to, like, soak in a little sun just to get some warmth so that maybe for the next five minutes I wouldn't be absolutely freezing. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. That was a really good conference tip. Layers. Layers are your friend. Yeah. They definitely crank the AC on for conference venues. When we think about conference benefits, I know definitely too many stories for this episode, but I will say like generally speaking in all the conferences I've had the chance to go to over the past few years, a lot of them have led to sort of serendipitous meetings, whether it was like, for example, I met Jacob Schatz who helped to like create like the GitLab team and sort of lead that. We ended up connecting surely because I happened to be sitting at the same dinner at him with him at a table. I kid you not, like our only interaction was really like, oh, like... I'm Jacob. I'm from like the DC area. And I was like, oh, I'm Ben. I'm from the DC area too. And that was like, that was basically it. We didn't interact like past that. But that somehow actually led to like 
going for it, like us talking more. And then I, he eventually came to speak at the meetup I was hosting at. And we um, have since become friends. And like through him, like I got my the gig I had at GitLab. And just like little serendipitous things where it's just crazy to think about. Like if I hadn't been at that conference, certain things in my life straight up just would not have happened just because of that. Isn't uh, that also how you got your current role? Yes. <laughs> that is correct. And so... I think networking, honestly, probably should be its own episode in the future. But I think a lot of times when you go to these conferences, you have a chance to just organically interact with someone. Like you're not, it's not a specific context. You're not there to necessarily like, I mean, sometimes, yes, like if you're looking to get a job at a specific company, it might make sense to seek to speak to someone. But like in my experience, like usually when you go to conferences, you're just meeting people working in all sorts of interesting companies, to be honest. Like ViewConf was a big eye opener. Like this company uses Vue and like this company uses Vue because it's unfortunately not really popularized, like which companies are using it. So I found it's always interesting to see that. And then as a result, you just end up growing your network just in an organic way. And so that's a huge benefit to me when it comes to conferences. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to know the ways that all of these connections can pay off. But like similarly with Jacob, I don't remember the context, but after the conference, I reached out to him on LinkedIn. I think I was interested in him and Divya primarily because they told so many terrible jokes on stage and they both mentioned being <laughs> interested in comedy. And I was like, wow, well, this is right up my alley. And then I was like, should I apply to ViewConf US or not? And then he randomly messaged me like, hey, are you going to apply to ViewConf US? I think they're picking the speakers this week. So like, it's possible that if I hadn't connected with him after the conference, like I would have missed the deadline without even knowing because I don't know if there was a deadline listed. So there was, I think, but like most CFPs, they tend to be flexible depending on actually, no, it, it depends entirely on how many people apply. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think it might've been earlier, earlier than the deadline. No, I'm not sure. But yeah, anyway, I felt like that was pretty lucky. I guess we should definitely preface this with none of us will get this conference experience for the foreseeable future. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will speak to the fact that I've been to remote conferences now, like during the time of quarantine. And it's, I know that people are trying really hard to create a similar experience. It's, it's just from the sense of the organicness of meeting people and the, you know, whether it's randomly going to karaoke or whatever. Randomly not going to karaoke for some of us. Oh. <laughs> If I remember correctly, the Tessa for the karaoke one in Toronto, we actually never, I don't think karaoke actually ended up happening because there was no karaoke bottles available. Yes, I believe so I that's the be story you told me at the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, that sounds more familiar because I don't recall doing karaoke in Toronto. We tried really hard to, but it never worked out. But speaking of virtual conferences, yeah, how has the experience been as like a virtual speaker or virtual attendee if people have spoken at or attended these? I haven't spoken at a virtual conference, I don't believe. I don't virtual so. meetup? I feel like Definitely the, the scale meetup. is kind of more fungible in the virtual land. Yeah, so that's that's what I think that's what makes it hard to remember because you know, as as the listeners might be able to imagine, like when you're standing at a stage in front of like an auditorium, like there's a very vivid physical memory of that. But yeah, when you're staring at a screen, it's almost like any other call. But generally speaking, I would say the biggest loss I find when it comes to virtual calls is you basically your animations are not as crisp and clean. And so it makes narrative storytelling so much harder. I mean, you do it and people to, I get to reference Tessa's closure thing, like they figure out where you started, where you ended, and they kind of figure out what happened in between. But sometimes that can end up missing the timing of jokes that you're planning or just ways to like give that like wow factor. So I would say that is a, to me a huge negative of presenting remotely. Because even if you record your talk, it's still you're still depending on your user's latency of fetching it down at the right speed. And that's a whole separate matter. How about you, Ari? Have you attended any virtual events? No, I'm a bad developer. <laughs> true at all. I know you've attended some virtual events, Tessa. Yeah, but I've been a, a bit more like kind of non-committal when I attend the virtual ones. Just because it's hard to sit in front of the computer for hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And also, like, I don't know. I just feel like all the speakers seem more stiff when it's virtual. And even as an organizer, like, I feel a little bit more disengaged and there's a lot more issues. Like, we had this one speaker who was doing a talk with code and hardware. But, like, every time he switched his screen, the screen share stopped working but Ugh. it wouldn't let him know. So we would just have to try to guess like, oh, you switched your screen and we can't see anything. So you have to stop sharing and restart sharing. I, yeah, I think 
screen sharing software has never been optimal, but like we're getting to see a lot, a lot more opportunities of how not optimal it is now. And we talked a bit in the episode we did with Debbie O'Brien about like the ambiance that's missing. Like last night I went to meet up where we all had to unmute and like clap, but you know how Zoom lowers the volume if like you're talking or somebody else is talking so you're just like clapping by yourself in in the room and it's like i don't know how it felt for the speaker but as a listener it was weird Um, and to your point ben i feel like there's something different from a speaker perspective about being on a stage and stuff so and also i think standing like your your breath and everything is different so Mm. i feel Mm -hmm. like if i did a conference talk remotely then i might look into like setting up some kind of standing setup for the talk and see how that works. I joked to somebody about how it also like shine a bright light into my eyes and like post a picture <laughs> of people staring intimidatingly at me. Maybe I'll just have like a, a row of Mike Hardington's like giving me that intense stare, you know? Yeah. The only thing you need from that, I'm just thinking I would need some sort of gimbal. T- like, so for those, I, I like walking when I give talks. So that's why like, it just helps to like, pace and burn off some of the excess energy I have when it comes to like adrenaline and nerves. So yeah, that's a little, the tricky part with remote talks too, because you're, unless you, like you've done the epic thing that Tessa set up, like you're basically just sitting at your computer and you're, you might be fidgeting a little bit. And so I know for me, I, I do miss that ability to use the space to that effect. Because I think when you have your physical body present, you can, it never occurred to me to so someone, I think it was Greg Pollock who told me this, but like using pauses can really help to like emphasize your point, especially when like, again, when you're presenting on stage, it kind of people are hanging on your words. But I think nowadays, if you pause in a Zoom, it's a little bit like they glitched. <laughs> like what? Like it's not, dramatic pauses, I think are much harder to do in, in a remote setting. <laughs> so Another speaker here, Tierney Siren, like he likes to turn his screen off using his clicker when he wants to like highlight that, like, this is an important thing, just focus on my words. I don't know if Mm -hmm. he's ever combined that with a pause though. Like maybe that virtually would be really, really bad. (laughs) What happened? (laughs) Disconnected. I did see a remote speaker seated using a clicker during their talk though. And I found that really like amusing. I tried to do that. It was kind of (laughs) weird. No, and I'm big on like audience interaction, which like you really, yeah, that doesn't work virtually. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, just Zoom face, like speaking to a room full of like, I don't know how to describe it on podcast, but like just really expressionless faces. Yeah. The closest thing I can think of with the technology we have is like you'd put on a VR headset and everyone's avatars would be like in an amphitheater. And I guess that could kind that of... That sounds terrifying. <laughs> I don't know. It's the closest thing I can think of to replicate the experience, but... Oh. Yeah. And I will say, though, I, I don't want to make it all sound bad. The remote events, especially the ones that are like that I've been to and like the speakers are doing the like you were all sort of learning to communicate in this new medium. And so I know that organizers are working hard to try to bring that spontaneity, whether it's through like I think Tessa, you and I tried out. Oh, gosh, was it Remo? Remo where like you can click on like a, a, a sort of like a conference table and then you get to like sit with people and talk. So people are trying to solve this problem. And so I, I do applaud their efforts. And, and Remo in particular, Tess and I, at least I know I had a pretty good time actually doing that because it felt a little bit more like I was sitting down at a conference and chatting with someone. So that, that was nice. So hopefully as time goes on, they'll get better at it. But I definitely, when all this is over, I'm going to say when, not if. (laughs) I certainly look forward to the in-person conferences again, for sure. Yeah, I think also on Henry's podcast, in one of his more recent episodes with Nadia, they talked about some other kinds of softwares. Like there's one where there's no video. You just have like a little figure that represents you. But even that is like enough they found in their experience. I thought that was pretty interesting. Hmm. Maybe we just need like an avatar that we control with like a controller and we run around the game screen. I don't know. That just reminds me of a Black Mirror episode that did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need to send me that episode later. I'm curious. I remember uh, there was an Animal Crossing conference. I'm curious how that worked out. Huh. Just waiting five years for everybody's plane animations. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that would be oh. the worst. And then just really yeah. horrible lag. All right. Well, I think that uh, maybe it's time to wrap it up and move on to picks. 
Ben, would you like Sounds to go good. first so no one steals your picks? <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you, Ari. I really appreciate that. Okay, so as far as picks, I'll start with View Toronto. They have a call for proposals. That's when we were referring to CFP. Sorry for not defining it earlier. But for their talks, so if you go to viewtoronto.com, you can go ahead and check it out and apply. I believe the conference is free this year. So also, if you're not planning on applying, but definitely attend. So be sure to check that out. And then... As far as my fun pick for this week, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. And so I started watching Umbrella Academy season one. I know that Tessa at one point had recommended season two, and she mentioned some things about the artistic way it was shot. So I'm curious to learn more from her about what the differences are. But yeah, it's been a good show so far, and I've enjoyed season one so far. So that's it for me. All right, Tessa, what do you have? And actually, I didn't realize when I came across this, but Ringo recommended this as one of his picks when we did an episode with him earlier. This week, I think. Was it this week? I don't know. Time is weird now. (laughs) Tony and Chelsea Northrup, who are like these photographers and educators, and they have like a YouTube channel and a podcast. One of their newer videos is called Stop Saying RTFM. And they talk about their frustrations with... So RTFM stands for Read the Freaking Manual. Oh. Yeah. Um. And they talk about their frustrations with people saying just RTFM, like even to them as people working in this field for years and years. And I know that we don't have that issue in tech, but I still thought it's fun to <laughs> play photography. No, I'm kidding. I thought I thought they made a lot <laughs> I was of gonna say. <laughs> Read the room, Ben. Read the freaking room. <laughs> yeah, I thought it's always a good reminder and also it's interesting to hear about the same issue in a slightly different context. So that's my first rec. And this is our first episode that we're recording in the fall. And when fall comes around, I always think of the album Sign from the band's No Regret Life. I don't 100% remember the difference between wet and dry sounds. I might have gotten this backwards, but I think they have like a pretty dry sound. And I just like from a an oral perspective, like I identify a lot with this album and I, I really like it. And speaking of dry sound quality. I just got served an ad at lunch for this game called Sky. And I was like, oh, that kind of looks like Journey, which I talked about a couple episodes back. And it turns out it is made by that game company, which is the company that made Journey. I think it's on mobile now and it's coming to Switch soon. I've only played five minutes of it. I don't know if there's really a story, but it's like very... When you sign into the game, they tell you that a majority of the game experience is sound and the sound's design is very nice and the game is like very pastel-y and like you just fly around and there is unfortunately still a lot of sand but I'm curious to explore more and those are my picks for the week okay well I have no picks because I'm in a boring boring rut and I just keep repeating the same activities (laughs) so that means that is it for this episode and until next week enjoy the view